Uh, he's not here today because this was also during his jujitsu time. Oh, good. I'm glad so, he's not here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure that's in the podcast. Don't put that in there. That'll be the opener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. The trend of cask-finished whiskey, it's here to stay. You know it's not going anywhere because it's run rampant over the past few years to the point where every single company has one in their portfolio. But how are barrels sourced? How many times can a barrel be used before it no longer gives off those different flavors? And to answer that question and a lot more, I've invited Jessica Ann from H&A Barrel Management to come on the show. We've had the pleasure of knowing Jessica for many years, and she's recently gotten herself into the market of brokering barrels for different cask finishes. Jessica gives us the lowdown on wine and exotic oak finishes and how difficult they can be to obtain. There's a lot to break down, such as types of oak, toast levels, and if cooperage reputation has any prestige. With the wide variety available, we're going to see even more trends hit the market in the near future. And with that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Kenneth Wayne Kitchler, who writes me on fredminnick.com. I am fascinated by all the amazing NDPs out there and have two questions regarding them. One, is Pappy Van Winkle an NDP? Seems like, to me, they are, but curious on your thoughts. Two, Why don't Kentucky distilled products disclose who the actual distiller is? Hmm. If it is distilled in Tennessee or Indiana, we generally know where it was distilled. But if it is Kentucky, you usually don't know. There are so many companies distilling in Kentucky, and I would like to see more transparency on the Kentucky distilled products. Love your books and podcast. Well, thank you very much, Ken. And I want to throw a shout out to the great Chuck Cowdery, one of my writing mentors and is in the Bourbon Hall of Fame. And if you don't have Chuck Cowdery's books, by gosh, you need to go to Amazon right now and buy them all up because he is one of the forefathers of American whiskey writing. And in fact, I would say he is the guy that put American whiskey writing on the map. Before Chuck, all whiskey writers were dabbling in scotch and Irish whiskey and just a little bit of everything. But Chuck's the guy that put American whiskey only on the map. Anyway, he created the moniker of NDP, and that is non-distiller producer. And if you go on his old blog, uh, Chuck Cowdery, I think it's on Blogspot still. He, he basically, he basically for ten years was just calling out people like, "Where's your whiskey made? Where's your whiskey made?" So make sure you go follow Chuck, read his books, get his newsletter. He's an amazing friend and an incredible, incredible source of information. At any rate, is Pappy Van Winkle an NDP? Well, prior to their partnership with Buffalo Trace, absolutely. Yes, they were an NDP. They had their own facilities. But once they partnered with uh, Buffalo Trace in the early 2000s, they really stopped being an NDP. They kind of they they have still time. They have a partnership there. They retain ownership of their brand, but they are tied to Buffalo Trace. That they're a little bit more complicated. You could say, well, they don't own the distillery and the facilities outright. Yeah, I mean, you could say that, but they get free reign of what they want there, and they have a hand in making it. They dictate 
what barrels they want. And so I just, I have a hard time saying Pappy is an NDP just because that relationship is, is they are one, they're very tied at the hip with Buffalo Trace. And so I just, I can't call them an NDP. You know, you could make a comparison to like, well, hey, Smoke Wagon has a very similar relationship to MGP, but that's not true. MGP does not own any of Smoke Wagon. So Smoke Wagon is entirely owned by itself, whereas Pappy Van Winkle does have shares of it that is owned by Buffalo Trace. So there is, to me, is like why it's different. Why don't Kentucky Distilled Products disclose who the actual distiller is? Now, this is a great question, and it all comes down to legalities. Everybody signs a non-disclosure agreement in Kentucky, it seems like, and these brokers uh, are out there. And there was a time that Kentucky, at the time, the largest broker or selling the whiskey on the open market, there was a time that Heaven Hill allowed their name to be used. And they would see their stuff being independently bottled by people all over the world. And it absolutely made the Shapiras cringe. They hated seeing that. They hated seeing someone use their name and their marketing when the, their their rights to make money off of that whiskey were, were gone. And also, who knows what happened to the whiskey after they changed possession. And never forget, every name on a bottle there's a layer of liability. So even if something happened, somebody sued that independent bottler and Heaven Hill had nothing to do with it, Heaven Hill could would still have to answer, you know, some kind of summons or lawsuit. So I, I, I would say I would say they are so focused on protecting their brands in Kentucky and they don't necessarily want people knowing that their whiskey's out there. But I'll tell you, man. There's really one major source where whiskey's coming from right now, and that's Barton, which makes 1792, which is a sister distillery to Buffalo Trace. I mean, they're making a ton, and they will actually put their name on the label. So they, you'll see their name on the Costco private label that they do with Kirkland. They do put it out there. They also have done it with like Total Wine. They allow Total Wine to to market them. So it's always going to be contract dependent and. If you're buying barrels through a broker, chances are you're not going to be able to use their name, but you're going to have their mash bill and you're going to be able to figure it out by process of elimination. However, if you use their name and their marketing and your marketing, they will sue you. So there is that. And I also say that, you know, you talked about if it's in Tennessee, you know, we typically know where it's distilled. That's not always true. Dickel has a lot of whiskey out on the sourced market, but there are some other distilleries that do too, and neither none of them disclose, allow the people who bottle them. Basically, the transparency from Kentucky is tied to people wanting to protect their brands and uh, also not wanting to take a chance if someone screws up the whiskey and hurting their name. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Kenneth, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com. 
and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back, everybody. It's another episode of Bourbon Pursuit. We are the official podcast of bourbon, but today we're also going to be the official podcast of barrels, which kind of plays into bourbon, too. Yeah, they coexist. It's maybe a little part of the equation. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, that's what somebody was very smart and made it where you got to go in the new charred oak barrel. Maybe the Coopers. Or, I guess, I don't, is that who did that? I guess you would think that would be the Coopers that said, I, can, I need an amendment to this. Let's go ahead and make sure that they're going to be new barrels that have to go into it. But that's really not going to be a today's topic of conversation. Yeah, today, is, today is about sourcing rare barrels for finishes and kind of different things that are what we've seen in the market that are really trended up lately. Well, and used barrels because the bourbon industry is very important to other industries at providing wood for them because they don't have the same standards as bourbon does with that new charred American virgin white oak. So a lot of companies can use that perfectly fine barrel and age their spirits in. And so it's a fascinating market that probably a lot of people don't know or understand. They may know a little bit about it, but I think this will be a good deep dive and and to it's it's one of our friends and we, we haven't hung out in a while so i'm yeah. excited to just hang out with with our guests today yeah not only is it just other spirits but you can age tabasco sauce beer coffee i mean soy the, sauce soy sauce the options are just are really endless i mean old fish like who knows like you can probably just think of all kinds of different things that's not no not wild. salmon salmon infused barrel no ah, okay well, let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. So today on the show, we have Jessica Ann. She is the North American used barrel sales for H&A Barrel Management, as well as the only one who showed up in her own custom Bourbon Pursuit t-shirt. So Yeah, that thing's yeah. impressive. Yeah. It's not only tie-dyed, but it's like cut, but then like has stringy things. And it's like, it's very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. How long did that take? Five minutes 
to let the bleach set and then, you know, like another five minutes to cut it up. I can't just wear like a basic t-shirt. I love it. Though. It goes against my soul. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like, it, I remember doing that in like elementary school. It was so fun. doing can tie-dye. make you one. I, I would love one. We might have My to. wife would love one. I, yeah. She would love one just like that. Right. She likes the crop. I guess that's what you call it. Mm-hmm. Crop. The crop shops. Yeah. I know. I try to give her our t-shirts and she's like, those are not very like feminine. And I'm like, right. Like, I know I got to get the crop and I tell Kenny, but he's got too much to do and then it never happens. So I need, <laughs> you just take over our, our female. I got you. Uh, I would love that. Yeah. Well, we need it also for festival season because it's, yeah. a, it's a very apropos shirt, if you will. But the cool thing about Jessica is that she came into our lives actually kind of through Fred uh, yeah. was kind of how you got your start. So before we dive into barrels and stuff like that, give little people the background about how you got into this world and kind of how you really latched onto it. Yeah. So former life, I was a social worker. I did discharge planning at a hospital and I worked for a health department. Around Derby time, I did some events. I met the Bourbon Brotherhood and I was like, I really love this like bourbon industry. By random, I got a job doing coordinating bourbon tours for Pegasus Distilled. And so I did like 100,000 bourbon tours custom for people who are going on the bourbon tour. Did you say 100,000? Actually, 100,000 people. Oh, okay. I was like, okay. holy smokes. Let me retract. 100,000 people. <laughs> That's a lot. And so they were private tours. So like bachelor parties, anniversaries, this, that. I'm just coordinating, buying tickets, doing like the tourism part of things, which I very much... I, still love tourism a lot and then saw an ad that Fred Minnick had posted on Indeed or something crazy and I was looking for a job for my friend and I saw that one and I'm like oh that would be a great part-time job like this guy wants full-time work but I could do it part-time so I started working for Fred and then as his assistant boss whatever that's how I met you guys yeah it was great yeah Fred's like terribly impossible to like pin down dates oh absolutely he's like he's a true author he procrastinates so it's but he likes it that way we love when he has assistance when he doesn't we like bang our heads against (laughs) and you're one of his best oh thank you yeah one of the two he's had right yeah well i guess then you were the best yeah (laughs) he did tell me he's like you were the worst at answering emails and i'm like you go behind my back and you answer him too. Like he does what he wants. And so I was like, he doesn't need me to answer emails. I'll figure out a way to do other things for him. So Fred and I are still very close, but that's how I met you guys on the podcast. Kenny would send over like this huge schedule and be like, Fred, I just need you to pick some dates. I just need you to send in these things. And it was like, impossible. Yeah. It's on my side. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine what it's like now without an assistant? <laughs> It was great. So, but I feel like here, I'm like so nervous today because I'm like my whole career, I'm like, if I could just be on bourbon pursuit, I would feel solidified as a person, you know? (laughs) We're making you whole. Well, I know. And then Kenny one time was like, I don't, I don't interview people who've done like a lot of other podcasts or this or that because we don't want to repeat the same content that's out there. And I'm like, well, I'm never going to be on the podcast. (laughs) But now like, that I've been asked, I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Like I've been in barrels for three years now. There's so many different facets of just barrels in general. And I'm like, I don't know that I know anything, you know? We don't either. So (laughs) that's the great thing is you can come on here and you can just lie and we'll be like, this is amazing. People are so quick to like 
oh, yeah. let you know when you're wrong. And I'm like, thank you. I'm embarrassed. Sorry. <laughs> well, we had we were talking to someone yesterday and they said whiskey's like 51 percent corn, 49 percent bullshit. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, that's true. You know? <laughs> yeah. So just fall in that 49 percent bullshit. You'll be fine. No, it's one of these things that I've seen your progression and your career develop over the past few years. And it's one of those things. Yes, you you, you get your first job, but you're still you got to get your feet wet. Like mm-hmm. you you got to learn everything. And it does. It takes a few years to know everything. And I remember the first times we had some of the early um, conversations, you said you were drinking from a fire hose, just trying to understand exactly all these different barrel types and the types of wines and all this other kind of stuff. And through that time, I've been able to follow along with your journey and I've seen all of your travels. I mean, you're going across the world now to go visit the vineyards in different places of like where these X barrels are coming mm-hmm. from. And so that's why I was like, it's time. You must have like a lot. four more hours than us because I see you like everywhere. Right. <laughs> more, four hours more a day. Like you have 28 hours in your day because you're like everywhere. Honestly, the last year I've really slowed down and, you know, just kind of gotten myself focused, but not really slowed down. I'm just learning the cooperage industry this year. So the company I work for, H&A Barrel Management. We are starting in 2004 in Bordeaux. Two guys, Mr. H, Mr. A, did a two-year study in like the wine industry and what they needed. And so it's a barrel leasing management program. We lease barrels, we lease cooperage. We have 55% of the French market. 2010, they came to the United States. They're in California and Napa Valley. So our bread and butter is leasing cooperage. A lot of recycling, reusing, finding homes. I say all that to say I work for a French company and I'm from Kentucky. So I don't know anything about wine. Like, you can just I, go, we. Yeah. we <laughs> I, I spent like the first year I was hired, like, I can't even pronounce these these wines, like these vineyards. I have to understand wine to understand the barrel. And so just trying to visit wineries, trying to learn our inventory, learn logistics, learn sizing, learn timing, then oak. And it's just there's so much. There's so much to learn and not enough time. So, yeah. Well, you said Mr. Much. H and Mr. A. I kind of felt like it was uh, like a Kill Bill, like one of those Quentin Tarantino kind yeah. of things. It's like, we're not going to know who they are. That's just that's just their pseudonym, who they are or whatever. But I know I was in Bordeaux, like a block away from Mr. Richard from his place and didn't meet him. But he'll be at the end of the month. I'm going back to Sonoma where our office is and he's going to be in town and gonna get to meet him finally three years later there you go what are what are some similarities between like i guess the bourbon spirit producer side versus french winemaking side is there is there any like correlation or is it just all it's all barrels at the end of the day it's all people like people are like wine people are so pretentious and i'm like have you met anybody in the bourbon industry we are all pretentious because we care about our product you know we care about Mm -hmm. what's going into it and what's the barrel that like french i feel like on the cooperage side, on the barrel side, they're a little further along than us, like generation-wise, you know, what ISC is five generations, maybe four, five, six. But the French cooperages, they've been there like seven, eight generations. So if you like go to their websites, they talk about different forests and what each like essence each forest have or the fl- the smell on the... On, so. I was going to say, they don't even have pictures of the founders. They're just actual sketches because that's all they had back then. They didn't right. have photography. Right. Yeah. So 
barrels have been a thing that's been passed down and passed down and passed down. So there's a lot to understand about the oak itself because the oak, I'm dealing with finishing barrels. I'm dealing with used cask. So it's at a certain point, there's no oak profile left. And then I'm looking at like the wine profile and what was left in the wine and what kind of soil this wine was grown in and that kind of thing. Or the grapes were grown in, not the wine. Yeah, I know. At least on the wine side, you have X amount of times that you can use it for wine aging before. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, well, it's it's kind of run its course. What yeah, is three that? or four times. Okay. That's what we consider like a three or four fill that makes that barrel more neutral. But the barrel itself still has some flavor, not for wine people, which I feel like a three or four fill is a sweet spot for spirits because you might still get some French oak or Hungarian oak or, you know, whatever kind of oak that barrel is into your spirit. But if you want just the wine flavor of like whatever was in that barrel and no oak, then you're going to do like an older, you know, six, seven fill. And then after that, they're like furniture grade deco. Besides logistics, why is French oak the preferred species for wine making instead of American oak and vice versa? American oak's the preferred I would say be- first. Just pure geography. Geography yeah, or? I would say the wood that you have available to you. You know, all of your American oak is essentially where we're located. You know, the Ozarks, Appalachian region, the East Coast. That's what's available to us to make barrels. And in France, you know, you have your French oak. But obviously flavor profiles of the wood based on what you want. French oak tends to be a little more spicy or this or that. That doesn't pair well with what we know as whiskey or yeah, bourbon yeah. at this point. But a lot of people are using French oak. You know, like Michter's Shanks, the last like batch was, it touched French oak for like 28 days. They don't always like release that, but people are using French oak. I think that's why I love. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, especially yeah. in the stay finish, though, you know, like yeah. Michter's and this. And that. Yeah. I think we're just starting to play around with finishing. We're just over the last three years that I know it's more it's and exploded. more. Yeah, it's exploded. Yeah. It's more accepted. It's more people can make their mark. They can experiment. They can take a whiskey that they've bought and made it their own. Yeah. And I think that's really why we wanted to have you on and talk about this is because of this craft finishing craze has really been going on. And I know that I would imagine your Rolodex of people is continually growing. The amount of phone calls, the amount of email you get is, is continually growing. So how does that process start where somebody says like, hey, what barrels do you have? Like, I'm looking, do they go, I'm looking for this type or I want this. Or do you go, hey, here's my inventory. Let right. me know what you want. It's it's a little bit of everything. So the barrels that I have the majority of are barrels that have been in our program. So that's going to be Cabernets, Pinot, Merlot, and a lot of, we have a lot of cognac and a lot of port, white port, red port, ruby port, everything else. Like I have a, a catalog that I send out. This is what we have the majority of. These are the barrels that I know that I can consistently get you they're not going anywhere. So when people start calling me about, I'm looking for this particular this or this, I don't always mess around with it. Like I will if I have it. I usually, if I get something special, I feed that to my clients. Like these barrels became available. This is where they are the month that they're going to be available. I don't get too, there's only one of me. (laughs) And like logistic wise, I can't be sourcing barrels from like different countries and then what sending them all to our warehouse in France and then sending them here. And it just doesn't make sense in small amounts. So I don't tend to like really go out of my way to get something that I probably could not get 
but I have a lot of connections and barrels and every like broker has something different. So I'm like, oh, you should go here and do this. These people have this, like just knowing who has what inventory. What's the most popular, like most common order, I guess, of all those varieties? The most, most common, obviously, is going to be your Angel's Envy with your Ruby Port. They have the biggest, oh, really? they have the biggest finishing sure. program. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. A huge finishing program. So, and that's like, I have a large portion, like they have, you have, you should always have multiple barrel suppliers, whether it's new barrels or used barrels. You don't want to bottleneck yourself on a source. So I'm one of their big suppliers. We had to, so we have a seasoning program in port. Port itself is aged a really long time, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. If you were to take those barrels, they would fall apart. Like they're not going to make the trip. Also, they're not dumping port as often as we need it. So we have a seasoning program where we take all of our former red wine barrels. We STR them, shave, toast, rechar, send them to the port houses. We have six port partners in Portugal and we have a team in Portugal. Anais is her name and she covers Portugal. So we take those barrels, we give them to the port houses. They season for a year and then we take those barrels back. They continue to age. It's like old port. They, we just give them new barrels. They continue to age in another like set of fresh barrels. Mm-hmm. So it's like doing like a double oaked for port, basically. Exactly. It just allows their port to keep aging without changing the flavor profile because it's a neutral barrel. And then so then when Angel's Envy needs to double or they need to add more, that puts stress on the port producers because, you know, the Duro Valley is a very small place. I was able to go. It's able to meet our producers, the wineries for the demand that I'm like bourbon and American whiskey and finishing has put on this tiny region. You have to do like seasoning programs. The same thing with sherry. There's not enough sherry production, people drinking sherry to equate the number of sherry, like true authentic sherry barrels. So there's a seasoning program for that. So like when you have, if Angel's Envy wants to double, well, everything that they have has to be, you know, finished in port. So we have to, do we look at like cutting down the seasoning time? So instead of it being 12 months, maybe nine months, maybe eight months, you know, it, that's up to like the distilleries. So we've really built a program around Angels in particular for like port finish. You threw a, a three letter acronym I had never heard before, the, the STR. Yes. So explain, because I'm sure a lot of people heard that and they're like, wait, go on, tell me again. I didn't know that was a thing. So, okay, rejuvenated cask. So STR stands for shaved, toasted, rechar. Oh, okay. And we have yeah. an STR program, which I... And so do you literally take the barrels apart yes. shave, and then rebuild the barrels? Yes. And so I'm hoping, because this is a really good way of not letting barrels just die, I'm hoping the shave, toast, rechar, the rejuvenate barrel program really takes off because I have to like, I've get given a lot of those barrels to distillers to like, can I give you this barrel? Will you tell me how it starts to finish? Will you tell me like what flavors you're getting from it? Because we don't really know it is new. So we all these wine barrels, we have American oak and French oak that we send to a cooperage in either France or Portugal. And they take them down stave by stave and they shave two millimeters off. So standard like thickness of a wine stave is like 27. It ends up being 25, which is your standard thickness of an American oak, like bourbon barrel. Same mm-hmm. same thickness, which matters when you think about like leaking and stuff. Because some people are like, oh, you're shaving them and it'll leak. But it's like two millimeters. Shave it down. Yeah, it's like hardwood floor, like resurfacing the hardwood yeah. floor. So. Yeah, first we like steam it and shave it down. And then, yeah, retoast or rechar based on whoever. You can customize it and then, yeah, send it back out. So my thing is with that, 
is wondering if that wine profile still will come out. Yeah, it means know? it's still pretty new that it's still it's like... It's still oh, pretty new. We've had some in the oak alternative space where they've done the similar thing mm-hmm. and t- converted, you know, as you said, because port and sherry barrels can't hold up as they right. age. So they'll take them, shave them down the outsides. They'll keep the insides and, right. and then, then convert them into like cubes or staves or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, for finishing. So I think it's, I think that, I think the industry is going to have to accept that and get used It'll to that. It's really because, great for like single malt because yeah. the reason I can't really move them is because they're not considered a new barrel. You know, with the bourbon, it's that new barrel thing. It has to be a new barrel. It has to be new oak. And these are used oak. So unless someone's doing some finishing. Anyway, so I don't know. So it's just know. not a sexy thing here in America that's caught on. With it will, though. I really think. I think they're going to have to. I think it really will. So I've ordered an actually a whole container. They're being made for me right now to be shipped out. Because I'm like, you know, if you build it, they will come. If I have, <laughs> if I have these barrels here and people really need barrels... I don't know, but essentially it should be like a double oak, like a toasted French oak finish. And and it does get kind of pricey once you get all this work done, you know, like it ends up being like, which I thought used to be priced like $250, $300. But now as like the new barrels are climbing and climbing and climbing, I'm like, huh, could be a better alternative. Yeah. But I don't know if that red wine profile will come out at some point, but also it might be kind of nice if it does, you know, if you had some fruit notes, especially like in a single malt or yeah, just TBD. Yeah, it's exactly. A lot of things to still figure out there. So give people an idea of when they start talking to you about different barrels and stuff like this, like the price ranges for used barrels and mm-hmm. like what you can get. I mean, I don't, I'm not asking you to put the price book out there because I'm sure oh, it's, I can give it's, a all, price book. it's all based on minimum quantities and, you know, it's like, oh, you buy a couple thousand barrels, of course, we're going to drop the price down for you a little bit. Right. Kind of give you an idea of if, if somebody wants to get into this, like where do you even start from the a pricing aspect? Okay. Cognac is the easiest because cognac is one euro per liter. So if you have a 270 liter cognac barrel, it's 270 euros. Most cognac barrels are 350, 400, sometimes 500 liters. Port barrels, I think they're like 275 euros. And then you have to think about freight and warehousing costs. So I always tell people the cost of your barrel plus or minus 80 to 100 bucks in freight and palletizing and then freight to your facility. And but I've also had some barrels that were, you know, were $900 a piece. And they were like some really, really old Spanish brandy and PX sherry, like mixed cask. And then I had Armagnac that were... They ended up being, I want to say like 500 euros, which I thought was relatively inexpensive for an Armagnac barrel that was really ancient. Yeah. So, and how many times can they typically use those to finish in? Is it just one and done or they? No, they, I I don't know. Yeah. I rely on my distillers. I know Starlight, they use their barrels a couple of times. And I think it really depends on how long you're finishing for. If you're just finishing, oh, I only need to touch this for 10 days and I like how it tastes. Add a new batch. Like you can, because if it's had Armagnac for 40 years, there's there's flavor left. Just roll that thing around. Just freaking yeah. let it set. Put it in the sun. And yeah, you it can, out. and you can reuse the finishing barrel. Yeah, it just depends on how long. I have yet to see anyone finish for a really long time or plan to finish for a really long time. But, yeah, I think yeah. the only one that I saw was, was it the Thomas S. Moore that was from... Barton Sazerac, where they were like, ah, we finished these for three years. 
And sometimes we try it and we're like, yeah, it, you can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. It's but almost it, overdone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It tastes just like the vessel, not the yeah. whiskey anymore. <laughs> but it's tricky because it's like you are putting valuable product into this oh, barrel. Yeah. And it's scary. And big barrels. And they're... Mo- well, yeah, most of the wine barrels standard size is like okay, 59 gallons, like 225 liters, 228 liters. That's with your all of your port barrels, your just your most basic barrels. Um, so it's like 59 gallons. It's a little bigger than a whiskey barrel. What are those massive ones that we usually see? The like, butts, they're 500 liters yeah. and, and up. I mean, they can go more, but the 500 liter barrel, I'm 5'2", so it's like five foot. And I could fit like four of me. I'm like, are we smuggling people in these? <laughs> they are massive. I don't know. So is it like in the, the French barrel market, are there some cooperages that are, you know, of course they have their prestige versus mm-hmm. other ones that don't have as much prestige. So they demand a higher used barrel price or something like that. Or is it just all French oak? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. The French barrel market... Are there some cooperages that are, you know, of course, they have their prestige versus mm-hmm. other ones that don't have as much prestige. So they demand a higher used barrel price or something like that. Or is it just all French oak? What people um, for? It's all just normally French oak because once we have our wineries, a lot of wineries, just like a lot of distilleries use multiple cooperages, you know. So I can't, I could go through and be like, oh, we'll only do Nadalier. We're only doing Sigma Monroe. But you can't really, there's so many barrels. It's like, you're going to kind of get what you get. Yeah. It's um, hard to really pinpoint yeah, that one. Macaulay over at Wilderness Trail, he called me the other day about, I had sent him a finishing barrel for another project. And he's like, it's from the Jubilee Forest. Like, I love that forest. I love the essence. I love 
it's like no. It sounds t- like typical macaw. I know. It's kind of like a tier six chaser from Four Roses. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I also, like to me, I like love like geeking out about that. I'm like, really? What do you love about the forest? And he's like, it's a noble hunting grounds. It has like a dark feminine energy. But also it has. <laughs> See, to- that's where I was like. This, yeah. This is where it's Macaulay. Like, and also, shine. yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, I love that. Also, that barrel doesn't Man, have any we need him profile to, left. We need him to write our press releases. <laughs> yeah. But it, and then I went to the Cooperage website. Actually, I brought it with me. I'm going to read it. It's okay. from like a, a Cooperage in in France, like the family owned Cooperage. And this is what they said about that forest. So we have this PDF of all of like their staves and what particular like forest it came from. And so this Jubilee, he says, we have increased the wood purchase from this latest forest as we found it's really tight grain, pink and with beautiful, sweet aroma and taste of vanilla. When it is fresh and watered on our yard, it has a wonderful scent of pink rose, which is very pleasant. Tannin extraction, 6%, matches well with bolded tannic wines. Our toast process seems to enhance this aroma of the wood. I'm like, they're so cute. (laughs) (laughs) But I would not go through my inventory to find. Just that particular forest. Yeah, not all the Cooper just put what forest. And that's where if you're really, if people are really, really, really wanting to geek out about forest and wood then that's go to your cooper like your cooperage yeah what are some of the i guess you know you said ports like the most popular what do you see is like the new like people are starting to order that's not like the traditional port cherry or type of finish or they're yeah i asked i wanted to ask that too because you see people are chasing after the next thing it's like well i've already had the port I've yeah. already had cherry finish. Like, what's next? Right. Yeah. Besides Amberanas, because we hate Amberanas. <laughs> I agree. I hate Amberanas. Yes. Well, we can all join that club. I do have um, acacia barrels. So they were from a winery, and they're actually new. I don't always have new barrels, but the winery went under for all intensive purposes and have these new acacia barrels. And so acacia, even though they're new, it's not considered oak. It's a hardwood. It's not an oak. But it has the flavor profile similar to Amberana, and it's not um, a protected wood. It's it's very abundant, and we're not going to hurt the forest by taking it. So I had Andrew Webrink bring me a sample that oh, he— From ISC. From ISC, there. yeah. Because he's the only person I know putting out research on different like flavor profiles of you know different oaks. And so he's like, yeah, I have some acacia— and I tasted it, and it's like a watered-down version of Ambarana that's not overpowering. It's not medicinal. It's not, like, in your face. But it had, like, this light, like, cinnamony. And I'm like, I could I could mess with that. I mean, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot, but those barrels are also very super expensive. So I'm like, oh. Never I, mind. I don't want to give do it a I shot. Bring, I mean, they're, like, <laughs> once they get here, because they're brand new, like, 700 euros. And I'm like, oh, shit. That's a lot. Wow, it is a lot. Um, yeah, but people, that's what I've always said. It's like there's an added cost that people probably don't recognize is when you come into this is, yes, these finishing vessels, these finishing pieces. There's there's a not only just the the wood, but, yeah, it's the transportation, it's the freight, it's the extra time. It's dumping extra it labor, in, trying all the time. goes into it. So if you're wondering, like, why they cost $10 more than just a regular flagship offering, there's a reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a pain, but it's like you got to stay on top of them, too. It's like because they can turn like fast. So you're like always trying and this and that. That's and why I like fortified spirits. You know, if you have brandy, ports, anything that has fortified, it doesn't go bad on you. Like You have a while. But if you're dealing with like, I want a Pinot, I want a Merlot, I want a Cab, you have to be very quick. Because one of the things I'm always dealing with is like sulfur. 
all wineries have to sulfur their barrels so bacteria doesn't grow. So it, like VA does volatile acidity doesn't set up, which is like fingernail polish remover. When we get wine barrels, we immediately sulfur them for the warehouse. Otherwise, that barrel goes bad. It turns right. to vinegar and it can never be used again by wine or whiskey ever. Like what's the what's the timeline that you have to be able to get Days. that done? Oh, really? I mean, we yeah, sulfur them. I'm sure them. with all that sugar, it doesn't take long for bacteria well, to get going. Exactly. Next to blood, like wine is one of the like, most volatile liquids that you can have. It is so like there's bacteria. There's a lot to mess with. So it's. People are like, I want fresh dump. I want like a wet wine barrel. And I'm like, I will not send you that unless you take full responsibility because in, within hours, you have bacteria setting up. What we do usually, if they're going directly to a distillery, we know the winery's emptying. We can get them directly to a distillery and they're ready to fill them. We can pressure wash them out and then add some nitrogen, bung it up, and don't ship it during the summer. You know, like let it be winter or maybe get a refrigerated overnight truck and then you can fill it. So, I mean, you have like two days. Oh, wow. Three days. After they dump it to get it in your warehouse and start adding yeah, the sulfites I, or whatever. Yeah, I sent some. And yeah, I was like, I sent some. I smelled the other day and it, they were like eight, nine days and they had, you know, the nitrogen in them and they were still okay. But there wasn't definitely not wet wine sitting around in there. You'd have to almost be like at the winery. Yeah. The other question I have about the acacia barrels is what spirit were they going to put in? Wine. Okay. Yeah. So I was just curious. And I don't know what winery that was, but they had 1,200 of those barrels that they had ordered. So I think all of their wine was going into the acacia. And I had never even heard of acacia until that moment. And I'm like, oh, this is fun. This is interesting. But what do you do with it? And I can't, I'm like, I will sell you this very expensive barrel, but it's on you. It's, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that's the other thing is like, so we have, I mean, Acacias, this is a new one to me. Of course, Ambarana has taken the world by storm. What other kind of other wood species do you come across that most people haven't heard of yet? There are so many wood species. Not all of them are liquid tight. What I mostly have that I'm just familiar with is obviously going to be your Hungarian oak, French oak, now the Acacia. Talking about like a white oak for a bourbon, the, I think the next thing is going to be chinkapin. Okay. Which yeah. is, I do like the chinkapin yeah. flavors. I know the Buffalo Trace released that as their. Yeah, and one of the Shanks did or Bombarder. Did they? Yeah, for their latest one, they did a chinkapin. I thought so it had this nice grape, is, grape kind of flavor to it. Oh, ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, chinkapin is a cousin of American, like white oak. It's like the white oak family. So people probably get chinkapin barrels all the time, but there's like a couple staves in there that are chinkapin just because it's white oak. It comes, you know, from the cooperage. But I know Zach Cooperage, he's doing a chinkapin project where chinkapin, when it grows, it grows in like streaks, like mineral streaks. So you'll get a bunch of chinkapin trees at one time. And so he was able to get a bunch of chinkapin and they've been air seasoned for three years now outside. And so to like, you know, get all those tannins distracted and that kind of thing. So he's going to build some just completely chinkapin barrels. And so, I don't know, I saw Andrew Weebrink be like, chinkapin's not worth it. It's not really that much different in my opinion. <laughs> but also it's like, why not? Like, Yeah, it's, it's fascinating his research. Like, you know, was, you know, especially like looking at French versus American, he's like, he's like, it has the same exact compounds inside of them. But you'll, he's like, but it releases the flavors and the spirit at different rates you know mm -hmm. it's like so it's like he's like all woods have the same compounds they just kind of release them you know but i'm like when i work with french oak 
it's very strong, you know, mm-hmm. fast, whereas American oak's more sweeter, softer, and takes longer to impart flavor. So it's, it is fascinating that it's able to give you that data set. I didn't know if, like, if you had, like, customers come, if you all, you know, say that you have bourbons or whatever, and you give them, like, all right, we have just, like, some X whiskey, and here's what it tastes like in, like, you know, our eight different vessels. You know, that way they have an idea. For it, so, it's like, we went to Independence Dave, and they had, you know, this season, that char or this toast with the same exact whiskey. And you can kind of do, do, do mm-hmm. customers ever request that or are they just like, nope, we'll take it and we'll see what happens with our stuff. If they are, that's on them. If they yeah, yeah. want to do that. Yeah, I would. I love to be involved. That's why I'm like, I'm willing to to work however I need to work to stay close, you know, to follow the barrels to see what flavors come out because everyone's different. Every barrel is different. Do you got, do they, I guess, do they ask for your opinion? Like, here's yeah. our spirit. What do you think would be yeah, best? I get like, that. I guess, I guess it was a bad, long way around. Can you be like the Sherpa you're, for yeah, your guiding light? You know, yeah. I, I try to do as much as I can. And then it's a lot of pressure because I'm like, oh, I'm not the distiller. I don't know. But actually Lux Co. came to me for some another project they had, not in the United States. And they're like, we have, you know, this spirit, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. So I called Brandon Smith over at Bardstown Bourbon Company and he was like, ooh, Marsala. And I'm like, all right, awesome. So sent him some Marsala barrels and... Making some chicken. No, <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> bad okay, joke. You, you're, you're saying other things that I've never heard. It's of. a Marsala wine. It's a wine. Okay, I was, like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a wine drinker. Yeah. Right. So it's just, I'm really interested now in like white Muscatel, like the white port just because no one really has done it yet and they're nice and bright and fresh and fruity and i have them so i've been pushing that a lot yeah i was about to say it's like it's a continual thing as as people change flavors change there'll probably be a rotation of things that people will just like grow the fad with and see how it sticks and i guess one thing that i thought of as because penelope did really well with it was their vino de naranja cask is that how you say it it's like the orange right whatever it is like yeah, I had a lot of people asking me for it. I'm like, thanks, guys. When people put out something like, I'm like, I cannot. <laughs> I do have some, and the the orange, is it Lilit, which is a Pernod Ricard brand? Mm-hmm. We have an agreement with them, the same thing, like the seasoning, we'll give them barrels, they're going to age Lilit, but it can only go to Pernod Ricard customers mm-hmm. per their... Agreement. Yeah, yeah per their, sense. yeah. And do, so, know, do they, like Aperol or like Campari, is that... Do they put those in barrels or no? So Lilith is in like an aperitif. Okay, yeah, like, yeah. It's like a like one of those and they don't, but they want it to start barrel aging it, which is why we did the, okay, we'll give you the barrels if you give us them. Yeah, because I had an after. idea when I was in Italy, but I'm sure people can put the two and two together. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, it'd be awesome to have a, you know, an aperitif finish. At, that yeah. was putting a used bourbon barrel, but then take that bourbon barrel back and put bourbon back into it. And when people because it has that like that orange, right, cherry, bitter kind of flavor. That so when people want to get well. weird like that, like you would obviously source that yourself. But when people are like, oh, I want orange curacao, I want this, I want that. First, I'd be like, go to Matt Jamie here at Eat Your Bourbon. He has some some bitters barrels, but I always send them to River Drive, which is a cooperage or a, a used barrel cooperage, like a broker up north, and he infuses barrels with flavor. So with like an infrared technology, and I think HNA, the company I worked for at one point, had brought him to France to be like, oh, should we do something like this? And nothing ever came of it. But he's able to, oh, if you want this barrel right now, I can infuse it and make it 
with this technology that I've built. So people who want anything different, River Drive, Matt. Okay. Yeah. Somebody else will have to look into it one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the other thing is when we start, you had a great video the other day that also talked about like how to read a wine barrel. Yes. Like, because us, I mean, we know how to read lock codes on bourbon barrels. That's interesting. You should make a video on that. (laughs) But kind of give us an idea of like if, if somebody is looking at wine barrels or something like that, how, how are you reading those, those, those different components in there? I'd have to have like a chart to break it down. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, it's, every barrel is different. Just like with American oak, like you can know mostly who's made that barrel by hopefully they have their name on the rivet. West Virginia has like their char level code on like the first like part. You're like, oh, that's a West Virginia barrel. And the same thing with wine barrels, but all wine barrels, all French Cooperages, they put their name like right at the top. They're proud. They're proud. And they're like, we are the artists. They should be proud. As far as watch the video, I guess. I'm like, okay. I'm like, do we want me to go it's into It's hard that? to explain over it's a microphone. It's hard to explain yeah. over a microphone. With no visuals. I know. I'm like, here, my hands are going everywhere. Okay. <laughs> no one can see me. But the most important thing about a wine barrel, there's a year dated on there on every wine barrel, 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. That's the year that barrel was made. And you can tell like essentially how many wines had been in there. For us, for me personally, like I love that I have full traceability of all of my barrels because I know when they're going to be dumped, who dumped them and what they generally produce, you know, so I can keep track once I sell them to a broker. If I were to sell them, we sell a lot of barrels to brokers. We don't like always share like we don't really share any of that information. So I'm like, I don't know what they're telling their customers when they get them. But mm-hmm. what other I mean, obviously, you're I think you're dealing with bourbon mostly or American spirits. But what about? How much scotch producers are you working with? We have a team in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a team in Scotland that cover that. And that's like another thing that we're dealing with here recently. Actually, I had a meeting yesterday. Scotland doesn't like the tongue and groove heads that we have now. Okay. Because you can't repair them. They fall apart. They wanted the the dowels. The the dowel pin heads. Well, the last five years really nobody does dowel pin heads anymore. So it's like, okay, Scotland. Well, now we have people like Devil's Cask who are painting the outside of the barrels with this lacquer. Oh, and I, I saw that. That was like a new thing. I I, I was, anyway, yes. Yeah. I, I was looking at different bar- barrels and stuff and from a conference and I saw this Devil's mm-hmm. Cask. And I started looking into it. Yeah, it was literally a latex paint, that, not, it's not latex, but it's literally a paint you roll on the outside mm-hmm. of the cask to try to trap in the angel share so it doesn't escape. Right. What you need some oxygen in a barrel, you know, but on my side, we're leasing like a couple truckloads of these barrels because, you know, there's a barrel shortage. So some of these distilleries are going wherever they can. Devil's Cask has an agreement with the Cooperage and they're selling like truckloads of these barrels, paint it with this lacquer on the outside. Scotland doesn't even allow you to have like wax, like beeswax on the outside, like that you see like Mm -hmm. the sealant. They're knocking it like we like are financially like contracted to these barrels now. And I'm like, okay, guys, let's maybe like be careful about having this many barrels in inventory if they have to go to Scotland, because that's where a lot of our barrels go. They're not going to accept these barrels. You know, it's painted on the outside. So but I think Devil's Cast did say that they are in Scotland. They're working to like change it and this and that. And I'm like, I hope. Yeah, uh, I hope. Yeah, go change the rules. Go you, ch- let me know how that goes. Go advocate. I don't... You mentioned the leasing program. I thought that was an interesting facet of your all's business. Mm-hmm. It's like you'll, you know, explain that, I guess, to people, like how you partner with 
bourbon distillery and like pre-buy their barrels. And yes. so, so explain that to people. We are a middleman. So we don't carry like you have a bank. We have lenders that we work with and the distilleries keep the relationship with their cooperage. If you're ordering from ISC, you will still place your order and then we pay that invoice. They just invoice us and we pay it. And then that, you know, when you buy barrels, you have to pay outright. You have to pay upon receipt because they have to take that money and they're buying new oak every single week, like hundreds of thousand dollars of oak that they can't use for six months or to a year or however long. So like Cooper just really rely on getting that cash flow. So it, it's a way to help distilleries or people to buy barrels and to make like payments on it rather than like being out all that cash flow up front. And then at the end of the lease, we could either buy it back at fair market value or you could keep it and resell it. And there's like a residual amount that's left that you'd be due for. But yeah. So it's a loan program. It's so, a loan program. No, I thought it was creative. And, it is. And, it's and super. A, a win-win for, you know, people for cash flow. Right. The, this industry is like very capital intensive. So anyway, you can yeah. spread out those payments. Is And we've been doing it since 2004, 2010 in the United States. But I did go to a conference and there was a guy in Tennessee that's like hedge funding it himself, him and his brother that are doing the same thing. Like buy barrels from us. You can lease them for whatever it was per barrel. So I think it's people are starting to maybe experiment in that. And some banks now are starting to. Americans are very smart at finding any spread they can. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, if I can make five, five, six points on any, anything, I'm going to create a, a program around it. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. And so the other, to kind of bring it back to the topic and maybe one of the last questions here is that as you are, I guess the, the idea is because you are one of the, the larger kind of players in this game when it comes to getting barrels, then you said you kind of sell them off to other brokers who then kind mm-hmm. of piece part into mm-hmm. individual distilleries, but then you'll probably have larger clients that come to you for, mm-hmm. for bigger buys. How does a, a rare cask, we'll say a Mizanara or anything like that, if it comes up, how do you find out about it? Is it just through like somebody that's inside of your organization that says, hey, we've got this line, go ahead and start fishing to see exactly who wants to buy these? No. And yes. Um, (laughs) So casts become special once people start wanting them. And I feel like with the Mizanara, that was a thing that happened in the bourbon industry. So I was the first to pick up on it as far as, oh, this is going to be a demand. Those barrels in themselves are super rare. You know, they're in Japan. I don't really have access. I actually asked my team, like, do we have access to any Mizanara? And they were like, ha ha, literally wrote back, ha ha. So Christian Huber was wanting Mizanara and he ended up going to Canton Cooperage and he was able to get some new like Mizanara or something from there. I think Kelvin brings in some. So mine is like, if I can't help you, I'm going to find somebody who can, who's already in that game tracking it. Cause there's only one of me, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not, but when I do have other special barrels or, you know, rare barrels, it's, I usually just find them in the inventory, in the inventory or like, you know, with the acacia barrels. So like, Oh, we have these coming up. Yeah, it's so, just something that's like a pipeline that just happens through the It just the happens company. organically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because we just talked about Mizanara. It's like there's so many different varieties and species of oak that people are playing with to just kind of see exactly where things are going to change. It is, I'd love to take get your take on this. Is like, you know, we saw the Mizanara trend happen, then it faded pretty quickly. Yeah, because they're like $1,000 a barrel, and they leak really, really bad. And they're hard to get. You have a year wait time, time to get here. They could be dried out. It's just a really big investment. And they're rare, so maybe people have just given up. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's a 
That's a good theory. Or they wore it out. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, because you had, I think there was only probably what, like maybe seven or eight releases of Mizanara Oak, but I haven't really seen a whole lot maybe I in the past year. leak so much. It's like they're expensive up front. And that's the feedback yeah, I've gotten is exactly. like the flavors are good, but it's so expensive and it leaks so much. It's like hard to like input that investment in. Right. And I don't have, I, I'm just dealing with used cask. So I'm really not going to get a Mizanara through our leasing program in France or in Portugal or in Spain. So that's not really been something. I have a lot of barrels to sell, so I try not to like jump on those. Right. Unless it's like something I'm really like interested in. I'm like, okay, I got this. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you again for coming on. I'm really excited to kind of see exactly where you think, what you're pushing and where you're going to see American whiskey can go in the finishing trend. Mm -hmm. You said you think the the white wine finishing, you think that's going to be the next phase? You hope maybe? Um, yeah, that I hope. Honestly, Sauternes have been like, the, you know, because Barstown just released like mm -hmm. their Sauternes finish. But that's like the most one of the most rare casks I have this year because Sauternes was in such a low production. So I feel like, the, you know, the next couple of months people are like, Sauternes, Sauternes, Sauternes. I'm like, oh, yeah, nobody won. I had there you go. 30 of these barrels two years ago. And nope. I was like, please take them. <laughs> it's hard to predict. Mm -hmm. Between yeah. that or Spanish brandy or just mm -hmm. something like that, who knows what's going to be the yeah. next thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jessica, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show. This was a pleasure to be able to talk to you. Thanks for having and me. And yeah. be able to like finally have this happen. I know. I want to try one of those STRs. Please. Yeah. I have some. I'll send them to you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put one. We got a, we got a room out. We got room out here in the warehouse. We can. <laughs> yeah, we got the, the ones I have in stock right now are American oak and they're charred. Okay. Yeah, That's, yeah. We'll everybody, everybody needs an angle to play on, yeah. right? Well, you call it the STR release, and people be like, "What's that?" Be like, "You got to listen to the podcast." We'll just rebarrel it, re you know, double barrel. No, be like, "This is the Jessica Hans special." Yeah, don't right? do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Maker's Bip, and it's just barrel entry proof. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> There's always like an acronym that people are like, "Oh yeah, we could make something." You did up. love the acronym. You were like, He's techie. Acronym? Well, I mean, tech I live in a, I live in a three letter acronym world all the time. And so when you hear that, it's like, OK, maybe I don't know what this means or I don't know. Maybe it's something I, I need to learn. Right. Yeah. Well, we're trying to get rid of the acronym because I think STR people are like, we don't want those barrels because they're shaved, toast and recharge. And so now it's like rejuvenate it. Yes. Or legacy, legacy barrel. Oh, I legacy think is what barrel. it's going to be. Resurrection barrel. <laughs> Resurrection. Resurrection. Oh yeah, like Phoenix. I think it's actually, yeah. it's, I think the new branding is going to have like a, all of our STR rejuvenated barrels are going to have like a Phoenix because it's like it rose from the ashes. It's a new barrel. Oh, I'm like, you guys. This is... <laughs> 51% corn, 49% bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But hey, I don't, all I care is the flavors there. So right. that's all that matters to me. Yeah. Sure. Well, Jessica, if people want to know more about you, follow you, about h and Barrel Management, if they just want to get in touch with you, they're like, hey, we could use some barrels. How would they do that? My phone number is. I'm just kidding. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I was like, I don't know <laughs> if you want to do that. It's, it is public. You can find me on Instagram um, at Bourbon Insider. I'm usually the most responsive there, and then we can link up on any other platform. Awesome. Yeah, so make sure you follow her. She always puts out really good, interesting videos and everything like that that's going on. So I, I worry because I'm like, do people, once you like get so specialized in something, it's like, do you really need to geek out online? Are people going to be like, just, just be cute and post a bottle? <laughs> okay? uh, it's, I don't know what we, people need. We a little bit of both. It's yeah. like they need, you know, slap humor and... Yeah. Cute, cute girls and and some tech stuff. So everything we need it all. I mean, yeah, you yeah. gotta you gotta give people a little variety. 
give them what they want. Pretty, pretty much. Right, pretty much. Well, make sure you follow Jessica, follow Bourbon Pursuit, wherever you get your socials. And as well, like the show, share it with a friend, give us a rating review, tell us we suck, whatever it's going to be, because we always meant to make the show better. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Toodles. Cheers. <laughs>